Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. You say, well, he trusted Abraham's faith. Yeah, but Abraham's faith then failed. So he's back to test it again. And the same thing with us. When we have lapses of faith, he's going to come in there. He's going to grow us. He's going to prune us. He's going to see, do I really take him at his word or not? Oswald Chambers says this. Faith never knows where is being led, but it knows and loves the one who is leading. That's what the Christian life is all about. When you were very young, you didn't have a lot of freedom to make the big choices in your life. Your parents made those. They decided what you were going to wear and where you were going to go, and especially what you were going to eat. You learned to trust that they had your best interests at heart, even if they sometimes didn't get it quite right. And God's leading your life. As you'll find out in Pastor Mark's teaching today, well, this is much the same except that he never makes mistakes in his care of you. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in Hebrews chapter 11 as he continues his message, The Faith of the Patriarchs and Moses. Notice what Abraham says. Here I am, he replied. And God said, we've never seen anything like this. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sent out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. What do you think's happening in Abraham's mind for three days? What do you think he's thinking about for three days? You see, we read this and go, no brain, no big deal. You know why? Because we know the outcome. We already know what it is. Let's get through it here quick. We already know it's good. Everything's great. No problem. Abraham doesn't know. It's not one day. It's not two days. It's three days. I don't know about you, but the longer the test goes on, the more difficult sometimes it gets for me. My mind goes all over the place. God, you said you're going to provide. What's happened? It's been one day. It's been two days. For some of you, three days, five days, seven days. Where is it? So put yourself in his shoes. Part of the testing in our lives is waiting for God's solution. So he's trying to develop in us patience. So it goes for those days, and look at 
On the third day, finally, we get to Mount Moriah, Calvary. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. And here's something you want to underscore in your Bible. We will worship, then we will come back to you. Circle the word we. What is Abraham sure of at this point? He's sure that what? Isaac and he are what? Tell me. Coming back. What is faith? Faith is believing the promise of God. So he knows Isaac somehow has to come back with him. Because from Isaac, the promise of God is going to be fulfilled. He doesn't know how. He's never had a clue. He just... This is an amazing man of faith, isn't he? And yet, the time there's the famine, to Egypt. Lies about his wife, first off. Lapses of faith. But he's growing. God's testing him. So he says, we will come back to you. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Now Isaac spoke up. Nobody really knows how old Isaac is. There's all kinds of debates. Probably probably somewhere 25, 30, but we don't really know. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, pretty intuitive. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. This is a place where probably the King James is really a better picture of what was said. Even more than the New King James or the NIV or the New Living Translation. Notice what it says. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. For the burnt offering. Why? Remember, this is a picture of the foreshadowing of what would happen to Jesus Christ. This is a picture. Same hill, Mount Moriah, where Jesus is crucified. So this is a picture. So Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb, which God did, sent his only son, just like Isaac was Abraham's only son. Now, Dad's about 125 to 130 years old. Even if he goes to the gym every day, his 25-year-old son could what? Could take him anytime. But he doesn't. Notice Isaac simply submits. Easter should be all over you. He simply submits to the will of his father. Remind you of anyone? Jesus Christ in the garden. Could Jesus have walked away? Yes. He didn't. He submitted to the will of the Father. So, well, verse 9, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Easy to read, 
impossible to put yourself there. Take your only son, bind him, and lift him up on the wood. Hard for us to even comprehend this. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. Don't you like all the butts in the Bible? I like it. Here it is. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know, this is huge, we'll get to it in a moment. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. To this day, Mount Moriah, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. Romans 8, Paul, knowing this story, kind of alluded to it. Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So, That's a picture in the Old Testament of what was coming. We have the fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ. And if God did this for the world, how could you think that God is stingy or doesn't have your best in mind? Remember, God is for us. He's not against us. He did all of this for us. Now back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 again. By faith, Abraham, when tested, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, who had received the promise, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, and it's through Isaac, that your offspring will be reckoned. Now, as you see that, Abraham believed God, but he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't understand it. He doesn't know the end of the story. We do. Look at verse 19. Here was what was going on in his mind. Abraham reasoned. Remember, the battle is always in our minds. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Now, let me ask you a question. Biblically, how many people had been resurrected from the dead in Abraham's day? The answer is zero, nada, none, nothing. So where in the world does Abraham get the faith that God could raise somebody from the dead? He's never seen it. He's never read about it. He's never heard about it. God put that in his heart. So he trusted God enough to do whatever. Remember, because he said that. We'll be back. We'll be back. Now, when you think that, 
I think for him, notice the scripture says, figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. What does that really mean? I think he had committed himself to giving Isaac, and by his own admission, Isaac is gone. He's done. He put him on the altar. It's over. He's already done in his heart what he knows he's going to have to do physically. God honored his heart without the physical part happening. You see, God saw his heart and credited him with the act. I think that's huge for us. You know, there's a lot of times in our life, and the longer you serve God, God is testing us simply to do this, to see if we will obey. If we'll just say, God, if that's what you want, I'll take this step. I'll quit this job. I'll break up with this person. I'll stop doing that. If that's what you want, God, it's a good thing, but if that's what you want, I'll do it. And all we have to do is say that. God knows he sees our heart, and he doesn't ask us to do it. But he brought us to the place where we'll say to God, if that's what you want, I'll do it. Why? Because he wants our heart. He's not after us doing it. He wants our heart to say, whatever you want, I'll do. That's a huge test. Let me give you an example. You're dating someone. They're a believer. You're in love with them. You want to get married. And God comes to you and says, I want you to think about this. I don't think it's the right time. And he puts an uneasiness in your heart. And God says, will you give him or her up? Now that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? Okay, God, I will. And the minute you say that, God says, thank you. Have a nice marriage. Now why would God do that? Because he's looking for a willing heart. Does that make sense to you? You see, sometimes God can't know we're really that way until we say, I'll do it. I will do it. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions. You can write them down. Number one, I believe God asked us to give back our lives to him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual life of worship. Are you willing to give back to God your life? Whatever you want to do with my life, God, it's yours. That's what Linda and I had to do 16 years ago when we left Merritt Island. And all of our friends, all of the comforts, everything that God had given us all these years, and we came down here to see what God was going to do. We drove by the Howard Johnsons the other day. Initially, we were going to have the first church service in the Howard Johnsons here on 192. Until a few days before, they called and said, sorry, can't have the room, it's been double booked. Here we are, our very first Sunday, The word's out, and they call us a few days before and say, sorry, that's a great start to a new church, isn't it? 
You know what God did? He opened up the Hilton. And we moved from the Howard Johnsons to the Hilton. I mean, from a little old room to chandeliers, praise God. See, he's able to do exceeding the money. And that happened overnight. Well, it was an accident, really. No, it was all directed by what? By God. But Linda and I had to do this. We had to finally say, okay, we'll give back to you, God, whatever you want. Now, let me ask you a question. Is God true asking me that question? No. I don't know what he'll ask for next. I have no idea. But I do know this. You've heard me say it a thousand times. His plan for Linda and I is better than any plan we could come up with. And if I stick my feet in the ground, I will not be in the will of God. That doesn't mean I'm going anywhere. Not that I know of. But if God moves me, or moves you, or changes this and does that, He knows best. How many remember the old days? This will date you. The TV theater program we used to watch all the time. Father knows best. Does he? Yes, he does. So we have to be willing. Second, I not only have to give my life back to God, my whole body, but it breaks down into the smallest element. I need to give back each day to God. Remember Psalm 118? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So I give my whole self. How often do I do that? Every single day. I just get up in the morning and say, God, it's yours. How do you want to use it? How do you want to use this day? And I ask you to take my life and make it useful. Next. Number three, and this is important in all the aspects. I need to learn to give back my tithes and my talents and my possessions to God. Second Corinthians 9, 6 says this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Malachi as a place where God kind of switches the tables on us. Instead of God testing us, God says, go ahead and just test me with this. Well, what's he ask us to test him about? Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. The storehouse is the local church where you're getting fed, that there will be enough food in my temple. What does that updated today mean? Well, that there will be enough finances to pay for the building, the electricity, the pastors that are on staff, the outreaches, the missions, the outcome, the ministry, arm of all this church. That's what it simply means. If you do, says the Lord of the heavens, armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. So I need to give God my life back. I need to give every day back to him. And my talents, my time, when God gifts me, I want to use it for him, as you do. So overall, understand, the one thing that Christians, by and large, can't do, because they refuse to do, is the third one. 
the majority of Christians do not tithe by a huge percentage, probably about 3 or 4% of really evangelical Christians tithe. The rest of them do not. Now, they're saved, they're going to heaven, but they do not trust God with that first 10%. They absolutely refuse to do it. I don't know why that is. Of course, they hurt, the churches hurt, the ministry hurt. It's hampered because these people can't trust God. Understand, every single thing you have came from God. And we taught our kids at a young age just to trust God. Now, with all this testing, I've taught you something a long time ago. You ought to be able to repeat it by heart. It simply this says this. Faith that isn't, tell me, tested can't be what? Can't be trusted. Say, God, why are you running this through? Well, I can't trust your faith right now, Balmer. Let's see if you're really with me. See, you say, well, he trusted Abraham's faith. Yeah, but Abraham's faith then failed. So he's back to test it again. And the same thing with us. When we have lapses of faith, he's going to come in there. He's going to grow us. He's going to prune us. He's going to see, do I really take him at his word or not? Oswald Chambers says this. Faith never knows where is being led, but it knows and loves the one who is leading. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's a great story. Listen to the illustration. Pete had become lost in the desert and had been chasing mirages. He thought to himself, I'll follow this last one. The mirage was a deserted town with the well in the very center. His mouth parched from intense heat. He ran to the well with the last ounce of his energy. He vigorously pumped the handle, only to find that no water came out. Then he looked up to see a note nailed to the post. It had instructions for the reader. Look behind the rock where a five-gallon container of water will be found and warned against drinking or using it for anything but priming the pump. Every ounce, the note said, is needed, and not any can be spared. Do not drink from this five-gallon container. Well, after pouring the water down the pump, he was tested, he was tempted. He pumped the handle vigorously, and all the water will come out as you obey these instructions. The last instruction was to fill the water can and place it behind the rock for the next weary soul who might also happen to come along. Now, if you're thirsty and you're about to die of thirst and you pump the well and nothing comes, and then you read the note, and you go pick up this cool five-gallon bucket of water. What's the selfish thing to do? Drink it. The wise thing to do is to follow instructions, pour it down, pump it, get all you want, pump it again, and place it for the next person. That's what God wants to do with our life. See, your life... It's not about you. It's about God using you. 
You found out today from Pastor Mark's teaching that God will test you to what you think is your limit. He pushes you so that you don't have any choice except to rely on Him. Pastor Mark told you that just like in Abraham's case, that from the human viewpoint, the things God asks you, well, they don't make sense. But also like Abraham, you need to trust God with your life. You don't have to wait to hear another message from Lessons for Living. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com to access our archive of messages on various topics and books of the Bible. Subscribe to our podcast as well to receive updated teachings as soon as they're made available. We're so glad you joined us today and we'd love to connect with you. Feel free to contact us with your questions and prayer requests at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. In the next message, Pastor Mark will wrap up the first part of his teaching, The Faith of the Patriarchs and Moses. You'll be talking about Abraham's total and complete trust in God. You'll be challenged to examine your own life for areas you're holding back from God. Pastor Mark will be talking about trusting God in the areas of time, talent, and treasure. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast from all of the production team here at Lessons for Living. We want to say thank you for tuning in and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right. Our eyes have seen and our ears have heard His Word made flesh in a hurting